This episode of the Fabulous Learning Nerds is sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTIs, counselor, and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Hey there, are you a learning and development professional with an expertise our audience would appreciate? Would you like to create a stronger learning community and make this world a little bit better? And would you like to hang out with some groovy learning nerds and share your story? If so, consider being a guest on our show. It's easy. Just send an email to nerds at thelearningnerds.com with guest in the subject line. Dan will surely return your email and get something set up. Well, that's when he's finished watching Netflix videos. But seriously, we'd love to hear from you as well. So send your email to nerds at thelearningnerds.com today. Today, the nerds welcome friend of the show, Callie Halton an engagement specialist with a passion for people, personal growth, and business impact. She shares her thoughts on the importance of employee engagement in our new working world and what we can do to ensure we foster the environment of success for those we serve. It's a great show you won't want to miss. So let's get started. They are the fabulous learning nerds. Because if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott, Dan, and Abby are making it fun. The best ideas that you've ever heard. So everybody spread the word. They're gonna keep you wheels turning. The fabulous learning nerds. Fabulous learning nerds. Oh yeah! Hey everybody, welcome to another fantastic episode of your fabulous learning nerds. I'm Scott Schutte, your host, and with me today, you guessed it, Dan Coonrod. Dan the man. Oh, yeah. Danielson, how are you today? Fair to Midland, Scott. How are you? Fair to Midland. You know, I could only wish that I was that good. I'm, I'm really not. You know, last night, my wife and I went out to um, Captiva, which is an island off Florida. I live in Florida, everybody. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever been to Captiva. Have you ever heard of Captiva or been to Captiva? No. Okay, so it's like this island, and they have really eclectic restaurants. And one of the restaurants that we went to last night was called The Bubble Room, okay? And The Bubble Room is like this house, and they renovated it into this like, uh, restaurant. And they say that it's Christmas every day. Because you remember those Christmas lights with the bubbles in it? Yes. Yeah, the bubble, yeah, bubble lights everywhere. And then they had pictures of celebrities from the 1950s on up everywhere there was a christmas train and 1950s tin tans and toys and everything and i just wanted to have a sandwich but i couldn't and um i ate way too much food matter of fact they said you can't leave here without having a piece of cake that's what they do and the cake was the size of my head so my wife and i split a piece of cake i at any rate i'm feeling very large Right now, just incredibly full of food. 
which we should do every once in a while. But when you're trying to be spelt like me, um, that's a challenge. But uh, yeah, so, so I, I so go ahead. Wait, wait. You found a Christmas themed restaurant? Yes. Oh. Yeah. And the waiters <laughs> were named Bubble Scouts. They had Boy Scout uniforms on with custom patches. They all wore their own patches. Um, one um, guy had nothing but WWF patches on it. Right, wrestling patches everywhere, WWE, WWF, whatever. Um, but yeah, yeah, Christmas themed um, and delicious cake. And I haven't had cake for a year. It, it was it was glorious. So. Wait, wait, wait. You yeah. haven't had cake for a year? Pretty much, yeah. Well, not, we see certainly not that much cake. Yeah, I know, right? Cake is good. We should all have more cake. Uh, amen. Yes, sir. Amen, right? Yeah, we should totally have more cake. Here's someone that I know would never turn down cake. Abby Dawson, everybody. Abby. Good morning, Scott. Would you turn down cake? <laughs> yeah. People turn down cake. <laughs> what is happening in Florida? What is going on with these restaurants? Is there something in the water? What? It's been around for understand. years. I had to drive an <laughs> hour to get to it. It's been around forever. The more you talked about this place, the more I was like, what the? Boy Scout, Boy Scout uniforms? uniforms. WWE, WWE patches, patches on Boy I just don't understand. <laughs> this feels like some place. This feels like some place you hear about on like the travel channel and you just shake your head. <laughs> right. Right. And then more food than you could shake a stick at. I will also say that they put us in the honeymoon booth, which is a booth built for two people. Like I had to actually sit next to my wife. Normally I sit across my wife, but I had to sit next to my wife and we had to, you know, be loving towards one another. And that was kind of cool. That's, that was very, very cool. Listen, I don't know what's going on in Florida. I have two siblings who've moved to Florida. Every year they get weirder. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, we should be testing the water. That's all I'm saying. That's <laughs> yeah. No, um, Florida is a weird place, and I will say that that is very true. Um, I know something that's not weird, yeah. and that's our guest for this week. And um, we're going to get to know all about her love of Christmas and Boy Scout uniforms in a little segment that we call "What's Your Deal." Hey, man, what's your deal? Kelly. Kelly. Hello. What's your deal, man? What's your deal? Oh, my deal. Well, my my deal starts at a very young age and it actually starts at childhood uh, where I found my passion for people. And I'll start by saying I have a unique ability and I love this about myself to turn not so great situations into amazing situations. And so at a very young age, I struggled with belonging. I was bullied. Um, and that turned me to want to know more about just like people, right? Because something, you know, about bullies is typically they're doing that because something they're being bullied in their life somewhere else. Right. So that's kind of what drove me to want to learn more about people. It's kind of a weird, uh, I don't want to say weird. It's a unique way of thinking about it because it's not weird. And so I, I took that and I went to cosmetology school 
and said to myself, you know, if people feel good, you know, I want to just help people feel good about what they look like and just talk to them and maybe I can help them feel good about the inside. Because the therapy, being a therapist didn't sound fun to me, but being a cosmetologist definitely did. Um, side note, I am an Enneagram four. If you know anything about the Enneagram personalities, the four is the, the one that's like, I want to know everything about everything because it's interesting and it's fun and it's cool. That's me. Um, so I went to cosmetology school and I actually learned a lot about employee engagement in cosmetology school. Um, I went to Paul Mitchell. It was a school that I chose to go to and they teach a lot about being kind to people in fact, they have you read a book called Be Nice or Else. And I'm going to warn you, if you read that book, no matter how nice of a person you are, you're going to come out of that book feeling like you're a jerk. <laughs> because it, it'll say things like, if you listen to music that says something bad about somebody else, you're a bad person. If your car is dirty, you're a bad person. If you're out, right, like that's kind of, it, it talks a lot about you're only going to be kind or you're going to be nice if the things around you are nice. So have a clean car. That's a nice thing to have. Does it say anything about leaving your shopping cart out in the parking lot before bringing it back to Corral? Because I think those people are awful. So it doesn't, but I, I believe that debate came, you know, a couple years after the book. But I agree. I do think the people who don't put their carts back, especially when their car's parked right next to it, I've seen that. That's not nice. That's not right. Mm -mm. They're monsters. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible monsters. people. Absolute monsters. <laughs> so you went from cosmetology school um, into employee engagement. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So this is how that all played out. Uh, so I still had to pay bills when I was going to cosmetology school. So I was uh, working part-time at a call center, uh, working customer service. And um, at that call center that I was working at, um, I, I eventually did get promoted to be a coach. So they moved me to full time uh, as a leader. This call center was having um, problems with attrition. They were having problems with absenteeism. And we were having issues with customer satisfaction scores. Um, I won't say what company it was. It was a third. It was like an outsource kind of company for a call center. Um, but we were working for AT&T. I can tell you that much. And at the time, they were the only provider that sold the iPhone. So this is way back original iPhone days, right? When it first came out, I'm nightmares about this time, but it, it was interesting. So iPhone had just launched. We were having all of these issues. On top of that, we had to ask our staff to work two hours of over mandatory overtime every day so that they could help us clear out the queue because we had all these iPhone orders going on. All this is important. Everyone was stressed out. Everyone was in a bad mood anytime that you went to work. And, and quite honestly, we didn't have a culture because we didn't have the time to think about it, right? We were just go, 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 go. And it, it created a, a culture of not people. It created a culture of business only. We, our director left and we had a new one come in. Um, I'll name him John for the sake of the story. So John came in and he watched us all for about two weeks, did a lot of observing, right? Walk around the call center floor, writing things down. He didn't say a lot to us. So he's kind of freaking us all out. <laughs> like, what's going on? What is this guy doing? Is he going to meet with us? Is he going to, right? Uh, two weeks and he pulls us all, us coaches, operation managers, anyone up higher than the front line into a room. He says, so I've been watching you guys for about two weeks now. I want to tell you what I've observed. I've observed a lot of 
robot behavior. And he used those words, robotic behavior out of this team. Almost all of you are responding to any employee concern in the same way. Sorry, that sucks. You still have to do this. You're not being human with each other. So and we're not going to coach until you learn how to be human with each other. He did. Yes, your face is in my voice. It was shocking to hear a leader say, we're, we've got to keep moving the business, but you're not going to coach for the business. And so, you know, people are getting comfortable looking around like, well, well then what are we going to do if we're not coaching? Are we just at also panic? If we're not coaching, what's going to happen to the customers? What's going to happen to our survey scores, right? Um, and so he said, this is what you're going to do. I'm also taking away your chairs. You're not going to sit at your desks. You're going to sit with your people. And you're going to talk to them. You're going to listen to their calls with them. You're going to be in it with them for the next two weeks. And then we're going to meet again. We'll see what, we'll see what I observe. So that's what we did as scared as we were. You know, our people came in, um, when people called out, we weren't allowed to coach them, right? We couldn't say, oh, you, you're missed this many days. You can't do this or right. It was, oh my gosh, I'm so, we had to be human. We had to talk to them. So I'm so sorry let me know what you need is what the conversations quickly turned into because that's all we could say, right? We couldn't coach them. And so without John telling us what he was doing, it he was forcing us <laughs> to be human with each other. And at the end of the two weeks, um, you know, he pulled us in. He said, I've seen some of you struggle with this. Some of you are flourishing with this. Um, we're going to keep doing this for another two weeks. I am going to allow you to coach, but the only thing you're allowed to do is set expectations and do getting to know me now. So no accountability conversations. You can show somebody how to do something, right? Give them the skills, but we're not doing, we're not having accountability conversations right now. That's absolutely not what's going to happen. Oh, and you still can't have your chairs back. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So listen to the calls with them. Did it again for another two weeks. Long of the short, what we what we ended up getting to is a place where about a month and a half of this, John came back to us and asked us, okay, we've done it. I know what I've observed, but I want to hear from you. What do you feel like is different in our business? And the whole room said we all feel better about coming to work. As, as weird as that sounds, like we just feel better about coming to work. Our employees feel better about coming to work. We're happier working with each other. And we we know how to support each other better, right? That's what came out of that conversation. Said, That's all I wanted. I want you to care about your people. And this is how I showed you I wanted you to do it. We're not going to be successful if you can't do this, if you can't engage with them. Let me show you what's been happening to your numbers since you've been doing this. Again, we could be at our desk. We didn't know. Performance-wise, it was up and down. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it was a perfect story, right? It's, it's not perfect. But our attendance got better. Our attrition got better. And so did our scheduling adherence. Um, or schedule adherence, I'm sorry. People wanted to work for us. They wanted to come to work because they felt supported, not from a supported, you know, how am I going to do my job every day? Supported, my manager cares about me. So I, in turn, now care about this job. Well, that's a fantastic story. I'm just captivated listening to you, and I'm sure our audience wants to know more about what they've learned and why it's important. So let's go ahead and quickly, let's uh, transition into our topic of the week. Are you ready? 
All right, today we're going to be talking about, duh, engagement, right? Employee engagement, why it's important, what is it, all the groovy stuff that I know that um, that Kelly can deliver to us. So let's start right off the bat. Let's talk about engagement. Um, what is it? Why is it important? Why should people be paying attention to this? Yeah, yeah. So engagement, by definition, is the emotional connection that an employee feels towards their organization, their leader, and how things work in the organization. And what that is, how things work within the organization is culture. So employee engagement and culture, they're best friends, they're hand in hand. They're, you can't have one without the other. Um, this is also something that every leader in a company should focus on. I think one thing I, I would love to talk about just for a second in engagement is that I don't want to put this on any one person, but I think out there, there's a, a misconception in that HR leaders are in charge of employee engagement. Yes, they send out the surveys. Yes, they consult with leaders. Yes, they help develop leaders. But it's not only on them to, to create that, right? Because engagement and culture are friends and people create culture. It's up to the people, all of the people within the business to create that. So, Kelly, you worked in uh, call centers. You've been through this transition before. You had your background in cosmetology. So tell me, when you moved into an L&D role, what kinds of pieces, I mean, did you kind of put together a philosophy and how have you kind of put those pieces into how you create resources, how you build a team? What have you done from those past experiences that's become like your structure for how, I, how you approach your, your new roles? I love this question so much. When I think about this and I, I think back to how I've approached this in the past or how I'm going to approach this with teams I work with in the future, it's a lot of discovery, curiosity. What's going on in, in this business? Um, what are our people saying? So one strategy is surveys, um, you know, and, and very surveys that are very specific to emotions which sounds a little crazy in business, but it is so important. You know, how do you, what is your relationship with your manager like? Do you feel that your manager is supporting you and your growth? What about the company? How do you feel about what's being offered with the company right now? And it's so many questions I could throw out there, but it's also going into those surveys knowing you're going to get a variety of answers and every single one of those answers is important because it came from someone that wants to engage with the company, but might not either might not know how, or they're engaging with us because something has happened that we need to address. So that's disengagement. And that disengagement is another one of those that I think there's a misconception out there. People think disengaged employees, they don't want to be at work. They don't want to do the things they need to do to help the company be successful. I'm of the opinion that the disengaged employees, they're equally as engaged as a happy employee. The way that they're engaging with us is different. They're telling us something is wrong. And when they're calling out, when they're in that survey saying, I hate everything, right? They're, they're telling us there's a problem that we need to address in our culture or that, that something has happened that maybe we didn't show compassion, right? Um, so surveys, all comes back to surveys. How do you prepare your leaders? Because getting that information is crucial. 
what you do with it is is the whole point, right? And I've known um, a lot of leaders who just feel unprepared. All they hear is, here's something else I have to fix that I'm not prepared to fix. And I just want to come in and like do my job, hit my numbers. I don't want to be a therapist to people. So what do you do to help those people see like, one, you can do these things. And two, it's not going to be a miserable experience. At a very young age, there was a rule that we learned and it's called the golden rule. And that is treat others the way that you want to be treated. That's the thought behind how I prepare leaders. So, hey, leaders, you know, we're about to send out this survey. You're going to get some awesome stuff. You might not. There may have been a moment where you treated someone that they felt that they wouldn't have treated you that way, or how would you feel in this situation? So I'm going to, I want to take me out of this and let's pretend you leader are in this situation. It's getting leaders in an emotional mindset that human things happen. And sometimes human things happen at work. You're going to see some of that come out in this survey. Be ready to be uncomfortable um, because great things never came from comfort zones. Change never came from a comfort zone. Uh, We don't get better if we stay comfortable. So let's get ready to get better together. That's a great story. And I love that. One of the things that's a real challenge today, though, that things are a little different. I know this because when I visit my office, which holds thousands of people, nobody's there, right? So the way that we work is different and that makes engagement a little more challenging. Can you talk to us a little bit about how things have changed post-pandemic and some of the strategies that we can implore to ensure we've got high engagement and get people that aren't necessarily in each other's spaces to connect in a way that um, increases engagement and increases you know, productivity, all that good stuff. How do we bring people together in this hybrid workplace? It's not easy. Let's start there. I'm not gonna, again, I'm not going to sit here and rainbows, butterflies, and shit. It's not easy. Um, I think first it's understanding that not everybody wants to engage the same way, but also even backing up one step further and saying engagement priorities haven't changed pre or post pandemic. The only thing that's changed is where the employee's priority is on these engagement efforts. So before the pandemic happened, we would HR leaders, engagement leaders get a lot of information around wanting more growth opportunities, um, wanting more work-life balance. Uh, Pay always comes up, right? Pay was the priority pre-pandemic. The others were there, but they weren't necessarily the priority. Um, Coming out of the pandemic, all of those are there, but the priority order, which has changed. Coming out of the pandemic, now folks are looking at culture first. And are there growth opportunities within a company before they're looking at pay? The big thing is that this people first culture, what is the company offering me as a person professionally before they're looking at what they're offering for pay? That's the big flip that's happened uh, with engagement coming out of this pandemic. To answer the second part of your question, you know, how do we do this? Every team's going to be different. So, you, you know, you Scott said you go into the office, nobody's there. Some folks, 
some teams have uh, offices where everybody's in the office on a Tuesday, but the rest of the week, maybe, you know, people are all over the place. It's about meeting people where they are. Um, you know, if you've got a hybrid environment, are you offering an event that has virtual and in-person options? Um, it's also thinking through what the experience is going to be like or the difference of the experience for the in-person and remote employee. Um, you know, let's, let's say we were going to do, I'm going to make something up real quick, like a trivia, right? We're, we're going to play trivia at noon. We're going to have the people in the office. You're going to have people remote. Do we put those two things together? Do we have one event for both audiences or do we have two separate events? It's the same thing, but one in person and one that's remote so that the experiences don't feel different. I'll tell you when I've joined even events that I haven't planned like a trivia one, uh, in person and remote and remote people all in the same thing like that, it's difficult because it feels like the in-person folks are getting more attention because they're right there, right? You can body language, side conversations, whereas the remote folks, they're all chatting, right? Like typing chatting. So it's about thinking through that experience, um, the, the, the diversity in that experience for the employees and are we doing the right thing? So there's no one size fits all here. It's, it's always going to go back to what is the experience going to be like for this person or these people? So question for you. A lot of what we were hearing, um, I think a lot of folks are going to feel like, well, that's like an HR role, or that's really just like how bosses want to run their teams. And that's, you know, an individual choice. Talk to me about why that lives in L and D and how we can, uh, add value that other teams maybe can't. Yeah, yeah. My hypothesis about why this lives in the L&D or HR realm is, I have two thoughts around this. One, I think it falls under the HR realm because human is in the HR title. That's my thought. Um, for learning and development, I, I think it falls here because you're, you know, typically that team is the first one to touch an employee experience. I say typically because sometimes it's recruiting. The employee engagement experience starts at recruiting and you know, then goes into training, then to production. And so I think it's just a domino effect of when people are entering a business. I think that we as a society are starting to get away from that. And I say that because I'm starting to see more roles come out that are specific to employee experience. That was my last role, right? Employee engagement specialist. That's the only thing I did. And I didn't do anything in HR. I won't say anything, but I didn't do what a typical HR person would do. That was a whole separate team from what I was doing. And then there was also that learning and development for leaders, right? That, that I was doing and a lot, not a lot of what it was, but it was, hey, leader, you're spending the most time with this employee. So how you engage with them, that's how they're shaping their culture of the business. How you set that foundation of trust with them is, is how they're going to engage with the business. Um, so it's, it's also helping folks understand that, yeah, you know, HR, engagement, L&D, we might be doing the surveys. We might be the first folks to, to, to touch their experience. 
but we're not the last either, right? So it falls on everyone within a business to, you know, shape engagement, shape culture. Yeah, I want to piggyback off of that. So I think what you're talking about is really great. My thought around learning and development is that we're always thinking our audience first. And you mentioned this like in-person hybrid experience, right? So I've been there. By the way, I'm done with trivia. Like I'm so done with it. Anybody else raising it? I'm just, are we going to do Kahoot again? I'm out. I got better things to do. I'm so done with it. But that being said, I got a room of people playing Kahoot and I got room on my rope people playing Kahoot. The people in the room get the attention. Know that because I've done hybrid learning events and it's really, really tough. So I think it's really important from an engagement perspective. We think about that audience experience and we prioritize that based on wherever they're at. Can we do them both together? Really tough to do, but if you have that audience focus, like we're going to stay focused on our audience and what that experience is, then I think you can do it and you have to plan for it and you have to think about it and we have to be purposeful about it. Um, the second thing, and I would certainly love to hear from Dan or Abby on this too, leaders only know what they know. And so we're in this position right now where a lot of leaders are all of a sudden having to do things that they don't know like this whole engagement thing. I thought I was supposed to deliver numbers. You're telling me I'm supposed to take care of my people. This is new to me. Like if I haven't, if you haven't prepared me to do this and I don't know how to do it, don't expect me to be really good at it. Right. So where's that dichotomy from a prioritization around what our leaders know and what our leaders understand that can actually lead to this place where we can be effective? Yeah. And Scott, to, I would also say that learning and development has a couple of unique things about it in most <laughs> companies, at least the ones I've worked in. We have more visibility than almost any group as to the beginning and the end, the entire process of what's going on in an organization. We're training everybody in the organization how to do everything. So we understand where pain points are. We understand where communication gaps are. So we have a really great opportunity to share that back with the business. I know that's not necessarily like L&D's role, or at least not perceived, but it is something that I like to share with my coworkers. You, know, you have visibility and experience and not everybody does. Be open to sharing it and building on it and um, understanding that there's value there. I would also say we really understand how you have to structure and approach problems so that people can learn how to address them. That's a really fancy way of saying like, we just know how people learn. So if you have to teach them something very difficult, like this is how to listen to your employees and help them be better. Literally, that's what we do. Like, why wouldn't we be a part of those kinds of conversations? I can teach you how to press buttons, but the way you learn how to work with people there are foundational things about how you learn that process that are the same as how you learn how to push a button. So I think the soft skills of a business should also be involved with your L&D teams. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Scott, you were talking about like hybrid. And we've talked a lot about like remote and not remote folks. One of my very, the, one of my very first teams I had as a new leader was like 50% remote. And I'd say probably for like 
the first like three months like that like drove me nuts like because i wanted to treat everybody the same and i wanted to be fair and equitable and as soon as i realized that i couldn't treat my remote folks like my in-person folks and i couldn't treat my in-person folks like my remote folks on how like i assigned work and tasks and communicated like life got so much better so quickly for everybody and i you know we were talking about going to empty offices and like how work is different now and i think a lot of that is because and Callie, tell me if if i'm way off base here but i, I feel like it's because we're taking all of these in-person leadership styles and things we've learned over forever of work and we keep like throwing them at this new workspace and we're wondering why they don't stick. Oh, Dan, you nailed it. I think you nailed it. I'll also know, I think managers, you know, managers and leaders right now coming out of this, they're probably the most stressed because they're the ones having to do the work, right? They're the ones having to figure this all out to, to Abby's point, like, gosh, now I'm in a pandemic, like they're going through all of the same things the employees are going through, but they're the ones being asked to fix it, right? So acknowledging they're probably the most stressed population right now. I'm not saying our front line's not stressed, okay? But they're, they're probably really, really stressed about that. I think it comes, you know, one, one thing is the vulnerability of that. Um, being vulnerable as a leader to say, I need help. I don't know how to do this. In business, I think sometimes that is seen as a weakness. Like when you hear someone say like, oh, I'm a leader and I don't know how to do this. Well, what do you mean you're a leader and you don't know? No, no, no. This is human stuff. We can't, you can't expect leaders to know everything about everything when it comes to humans, because if that was the case, we'd be perfect. No, no, we're not perfect beings. Okay. That's why we're, we're all going to learn for the rest of our lives. Everybody does it. And so I think it's acknowledging that, that, that there needs to be some vulnerability, not needs to, because that makes me feel like I'm forcing that upon people. But you know, having that vulnerability to say, I don't know how to do this. Um, or, you know, if you, you do know how to engage with your people and a situation comes to you that you don't know, you know, if your person's asking you for help and you don't know, I think the worst thing you could do as a leader is try to help them without knowing what you're helping them with, right? Because you may, may make it worse. I think it's okay to say to your person, I hear your help, you know, that you want help with this right now. I want to help you. I might not, or I don't have the tools right now to help you, but I'm going to get someone that does, or I'm going to find those tools for you. That's the same answer as, as giving them the tools or help. You're showing your people you're committed to them. I love it. Hey, let's back up for just a minute. You talked about surveys and I feel like surveys is one tool we can use. Uh, um, my opinion on the surveys, they're great, but sometimes that's where they end, right? Hey, we're going to take a survey. And we're going to feel really good about this survey. Hey, now what? Right? So could you, could you talk about like, what are the strategies after the survey? What do we do? Right? What are some tangible things that our audience can do to start thinking about helping to build that environment, whether I'm a leader or I'm supporting a leader, you know, and especially given where we're at and how things are different, what? What are some tactics and some tools that you can leave with our audience that, that can really help them improve what's going on? Yeah. If you're going to put out something for folks to give their opinion on, the very next thing you've got to do with that once you get it back is show them that you listened. 
Because if you don't show them, they're well, why did I do this? What? Then you're causing more disengagement. If you don't do anything with that or show folks that you're doing something with that, communicate, 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 over communicate. And if it feels like you're doing too much, you're not doing enough. And I am of that opinion, right? And And it's not only, you know, just sending it out. It's how are we talking about it in meetings? So, you know, we just sent a survey about who, you know, what kind of food you want in the break room. Again, just making something up. Um, we've got the results. You know, it's even communicating that you've got the results. Here's the team looking at it. And here's when to expect to hear more. So letting that population know you've heard them and that there, something's going to happen with it. And then that very next communication, you know, this is what you said. Y'all hate Apple Jacks, so we're going to put Golden Grams in the break room instead, right? Because that's what you told us. So again, just validating for folks that we heard you, we saw what you said, we want to do the right thing by you, so here's what we're doing with that. I think here's a not easy example. Um, you know, y'all told us you want more growth opportunities within the company, um, and so here's what we've done with that. We're making sure that they're more visible, the A, B, C, D way. Um, we're make, we're creating a program where we can help folks prep for interviews or do their resumes, A, B, C, D, right? Like showing them you're taking what they've said and you're doing something with it or that you're trying. A lot of those surveys, the end result is hard, but makes sense, right? Because you've got the information. How do you prepare to write that survey? How do you know which questions to ask? How do you ask the questions so that you can have actionable responses? What's that process? Who do you engage with? How do you know when you're doing it well? Well, there's many, I think there's a couple of different ways you could go with that. Like how you, what data is available to you, right? That, that you're doing things well. I think pre-survey, there's, there's going to be data that you're looking at that you're going to want to follow up on post-survey. Uh, typically, it's attrition. Typically, attendance. Um, you know, maybe a survey just went out from another company. So some, some uh, companies have third-party companies do their surveys, and they didn't get great results. Um, so, okay. They just asked their questions. Now we want to do our own so we can dive a little deeper. Maybe we ask a different population or maybe we do a focus group instead of a survey kind of thing. I think focus groups are equally as important as surveys. You just may not get as honest of answers, uh, in a focus group versus a, an anonymous survey. So for those surveys, you're, you're engaging every level because it's important for every level. Are your coaches getting what they need from the managers? Are your managers getting what they need from the director? So everyone is included in the survey, but who's included in fixing anything that comes out of the, any opportunities that comes out of the survey? That's going to be the leadership team, uh, leaders of the site. You know, maybe these are the senior OMs, the management. So they're taking that, they're looking at it and saying, okay, this is what people are saying you know, what are our ideas for what we could do for that? I think it's important too, when you have information like this, to grab folks from the population that it came from and ask them for their ideas on, hey, this is something that came up in this survey. You're a part of that. What are your ideas for making this better? I see that I think it's important because great ideas can come from anybody. You don't have to be a director of a site to know how to fix a problem. And I think that's a missed opportunity for many 
any company sometimes, right? That bring in the people that are in the problem because they're more likely going to be the ones that know how to resolve it because they're in it, right? Or they might just have thoughts. We might not be able to do it every single time, but engaging the, the population that wants the problem fixed. Like, what are your thoughts on that? I think that's really important. Talk to us a little bit about engagement and this idea of wellness, which I think is really important part of that. Like, how do those two go together and how do you think about it? And how should we be thinking about it and structuring our activities and work-life balance around wellness? Yeah, yeah. So employee wellness is more than physical, like, I feel good, I'm not sick today. I think people hear, or first of all, like, I would say employee uh, wellness to my husband, and he'd be like, yeah, my people aren't sick. Like, no, that's not what I mean. (laughs) I don't mean they're sick. I mean, how are they mentally? How are they, you don't mind, I don't know their financial situation, but like, are they financially okay? Do they have, you know, I mean, professional growth, like, well-being in so many, so many senses. This is another shift that has come out of the pandemic is there's a really big focus on are our employees okay? We spend more waking hours with our coworkers than we do with our families in in most situations. And so, you know, are people feeling good about that? Are are people feeling good about the culture that they work within, the, the folks that they're around? Are they feeling psychologically safe? That, that's a big wellness one because that's a basic human need. Are they feeling safe in their workplace? Um, so with that, employees are looking for what employers offer for their holistic wellness. So, you know, yes, pay is important, but is this company going to help me grow? Not only within the company, but are they going to help me grow as a person? You know, um, there are companies out there that offer financial webinars for their folks just so they can figure out, you know, 401ks, how do loans work, right? Like all sorts of stuff that we should have learned in high school and we didn't. Um, These are the things companies are taking on now, Um, which also in turn is going to create more engagement because employees are, oh my gosh, you want, you're showing me how to save for retirement. You're you're giving me information on my mental well-being, like mind-blowing stuff uh, for some folks. That's going to create more loyalty. Um, that's going to create more pride within an employee. There's so many good things that, that come from looking employee wellness holistically outside of they're just you know not physically sick. And if someone's on the job hunt right now, what would you recommend they look for to, to see indications of this is a company that's doing these things, cares about these things versus maybe this company has some work to do. And I don't know if I want to help them do that work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Knowledge is power. And, you know, if you're on the job hunt right now, my biggest piece of advice when it comes to if you want to engage, look at the company's core values, look at the company's mission or vision and do, does it align with who you are? as a person, what is this company known for outside of what they do, right? Do they, you know, are they out there in the community? If you're someone that holds community service close to your heart, um, do they have a DEI team? Do they have uh, ERGs? If that's something that's important for you as an individual, 
do, are they flexible? Um, these are things you could, you could find on the company's career website. Uh, I know Glassdoor has some information. I'm also a big fan of the power of LinkedIn. If you are connected to someone that works at a company that you're looking for, talk to them about it, right? Because they're in it. They're your friend, connection, whatever. They work in it. So talk to them. Or reach out to a recruiter from that company on LinkedIn. Hey, looking at the company. Um, I see this job open. I want to know a little bit more. Do you have time to talk to me about this? Or if not a recruiter, is there someone in a, in a role that you want? in that company or who has worked for that company before and another, right? LinkedIn is great. I've never had someone, honestly, I've not yet run into a no with one of those. I, I'm asking people all the time to connect on LinkedIn. I've never had someone tell me no when it comes to that question. Tell me about your company culture. And for our folks who may not know, can you define what DEI and ERG are? Yeah, yeah. Apologies. So DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then for for those, our ERGs, employee resource groups. Um, so groups for employees within a certain demographic, not necessarily as a social group, but or a support group, but as an education group. Um, and or are we doing things in the community group? Cool. Well, we're getting to that point in time where we're going to start thinking about wrapping things up. So before I do, I want to give you an opportunity, Kelly, to go ahead. Is there anything that you want to share with our audience that we haven't had the opportunity to talk about? Um, engagement is well and alive in sports teams. That's a, that's a place where I think about employee engagement outside of business. And if you want to look or think about something or somewhere that has a great culture, Go look at a winning sports team. Doesn't matter if it's soccer, hockey, basketball, football. Um, look at how they interact with each other. Look at how their coach interacts with them. Because that, when I, when I think about engagement, I think about what does great look like? Sports teams. And it's their coach who's bringing it all together for those teams, right? Their, their leader. So that the leaders out there make building those relationships with each individual player, but is also helping the players build relationships and trust with each other through direct feedback, coaching, practice, and consistency. Um, and so, yeah, it, that, that's kind of what I want to leave on, especially if you're a sports fan. I'm not a sports person, but I know enough about sports to know that this is where this is alive and well. Well, Kelly, thank you. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing your stories. Great stories. I don't think I've had a, or we've had a cosmetology to greatness story yet, but there's a first for everything. And I'm sure there are thousands just like that. Um, so that's great. Could you do us a favor and uh, let us know how our audience can connect with you? Yeah, of course. So I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and if you want to find me, it's just Callie Kelton, K-A-L-L-Y. C-A-L-T-O-N, my last name, or uh, my LinkedIn profile URL, just LinkedIn slash Callie Calton. Um, or you can send me an email and it's as simple as my LinkedIn profile, CallieCalton at gmail.com. Reach out. We can talk about engagement, uh, sports. You could teach me about sports now that you all know. I don't know anything about it. Uh, or people because I'm interested in all things people. That's fantastic. And you're a great resource and you make a fantastic resource for anybody out there that's looking for an expert in this. This is this is really great stuff. So Daniel San. Yes, Scott. You do me a solid and let everybody 
know how they can connect with us. Absolutely. All right, party people. If you haven't already, email us at nerds at thelearningnerds.com. Ask us any questions. Join in the conversation. Tell us how you feel about employee engagement. We want to know. If you're on Facebook, you can find us at Learning Nerds. And lastly, for all of our Instagram peeps, Fab Learning Nerds. Scott. Thanks, Dan. Hey, everybody, do me a favor. Will you hit that subscribe button? If you like what's going on, share this episode with your friends. We really, really love you for, for you to do that. If you've got some feedback, please leave a review, either in iTunes or Stitcher or whatever. Um, we'd love to know how we're doing, and it helps us get our message out to more people. And hey, if you want to be a guest on the show, email us. If you've got a great topic and you got something you want to share, we'd be happy to have you on. Until that time, I'm Scott. I'm Dan. I'm Abby. And I'm Callie. And we're your fabulous learning nerds, and we are out. Thanks for listening to the Fabulous Learning Nerds. You know, there are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment of offerings. If you're, if you're thinking of giving it a try, if you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.